Good to see y'all. Glad you made it out. Appreciate your presence and your being here. We're going to be in the book of James tonight, the epistle of James, the first chapter. <clears throat> James is one of those books that is very practical, but very deep, almost an in-your-face kind of book. As you read through it, if you're not familiar with it, I encourage you to, but as you read through it, you'll find just very practical, everyday things that can be incorporated into the life of a believer to both edify and encourage them and often reprove us. James chapter 1 and verse number 26, we'll read the last two verses of the chapter, and if you're able to and would, stand with me as we read this text. <clears throat> James' writing says, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Look at verse 27. It says, Pure religion and undefiled before God. The Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. We're going to think on this subject tonight, secret religion. I think you'll understand as we go through the chapter and consider a few things. Religion is one of those things we hear all the time, the word. And today's standard, I, I suppose, is much different than what James expected us to understand when he gave us this, this chapter. As the English word we picked up as uh, religion has been flopped around and altered, and, and it's just kind of a vague, um, doesn't have a lot of significance or meaning in our day. But I think it had much more in biblical terms, so we're going to look at that tonight. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the promise that as we meet tonight that you're in our midst, and we trust that you'll be about your work and the work of our hearts. God, I pray that you would take your word and encourage and exhort and reprove and change us with it. And we'll give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Maybe someone's asked you, what religion are you? And you probably answered with something like Baptist or Lutheran or Catholic or Jehovah's Witness. I hope not. Maybe someone said about you, oh, they're a religious person. What they meant was you go to church, maybe you have a Bible, you've been baptized, you give donations or tithes, and maybe a few things here, a few things there, but that's about it. You, you don't need much nowadays to qualify for being religious. In fact, the fact that you're in uh, church on a Wednesday night probably makes you very religious by today's standards. In Acts chapter 26 and verse 5, we see Paul speaking of himself. He says, after the straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Even Paul said, there were things that I did, I practiced this religion. But I think we're well aware that Paul's faithfulness to carry out the standards and beliefs that the Pharisees had, these commands and these ideas, uh, was not really the religion that God wants us to pursue today. But even so, that same, those same Pharisees were condemned by Christ more on the basis of how 
they did, not so much of what they did. You remember, it wasn't their actions that um, Jesus reproved them for. It was the way they went about them. It was their pride. It was their ego. It was their lack of uh, transparency. It wasn't necessarily the deeds. It was the heart condition that was behind it. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 18, uh, the same Greek word that's translated here as religion is translated there in the word worship. And we see there it reinforces the, the, the how instead of the what. When you think about worship, some of you here tonight, maybe no one even knows who it was, but chances are there were people who were singing the same words as was up on the screen or in the hymn book, but there was really no worship coming out of their heart. While maybe right next to them another person sounded the same and looked the same and was singing the same words, but there was a true form of worship exiting their, their mouth and from their hearts. See, worship isn't as much action as it is what comes out of the heart. Religion, similarly, isn't as much what we do, it's how we do it. Verse number 26, James tells us that our religion can be vain or empty. That word even often associates with an idol. This religion that people carry about today can be, and even in James' day, was something that could even replace the, worst, the true worship of God. It could become an idol. And we see that all the time where people have these religious acts that they go through, these prayers that they pray, these, these uh, ceremonies that they uh, are very faithful to and committed to, but we know from the Bible there's really no value to it. And in fact, it's hindering their real relationship, and their, their, their true relationship with God. I think to better understand these last two verses, it's helpful to go back even to the beginning of this chapter and just we're going to run through a few verses quickly and get a good, hopefully a good idea of what James is teaching us and trying to help us understand. Verse number one and two, we read these verses, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting... And then he begins verse 2 with these two words, my brethren. Now he's speaking to fellow believers. These are other born-again, saved converts of Christ. I believe most of them were Jews. It says um, of the 12 tribes. But he says you're scattered abroad. You're not here in Israel, in Jerusalem anymore. You know that through James Day, even a lot of his writing was an encouragement as they were going through much persecution... This persecution uh, scattered these people. But as he writes to them, he says, you're still my brothers in Christ. We're still a part of the same family of God. And I think it's important for us to understand that this religion that he's encouraging isn't an act or a part of our salvation, but instead it's because of our salvation. Maybe you're here tonight and you've uh, fulfilled some types of religious ceremonies. Maybe you've been baptized or you've taken communion or... Or, or you, obviously, you're attending church tonight, but you've never been born again. No religious act or no amount of religious acts can ever redeem your soul. Christ redeemed it when he died on the cross. And here he writes to fellow believers who have accepted that gift of, of eternal life. And he begins to write to them. He says in verse 2, these, these common verses, he says, uh, "...count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations." Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. 
Now, that patience is not the time that you need when dealing with children or teenagers or maybe with your husband. This is the patience of endurance. This is continuance and faithfulness. And he says, because of your trials, this allows your faith to be strengthened and your personal walk with Christ to be strengthened. I was thinking while studying this about endurance and and athletes, I've been uh, tempted for the last several years to buy a bicycle, mainly for my kids' sake, partially for my sake. But I got to thinking about it, and I haven't ridden, truly ridden a bicycle for about 16 years. And I remember then, I, uh, most of you know where my parents lived one day as a, four, I think a 14-year-old boy, I got a good idea that I would start riding, and I didn't stop till I got to the other side of town over here. I don't know how many miles it was, but I rode all the way back home, and I know that I was fairly sore by the time I got home, and it wasn't on a, even a 10-speed, it was just a, you know, like a BMX bike, so no gears, small tires, it wasn't really practical for riding long distance. But I got to thinking, you know, if I attempted something like that today, I wouldn't try it for one. But if I did, I would probably kill myself halfway through. Because I haven't, I've lost that endurance to ride a bicycle. Because of lack of exercise, right? Lack of doing it. James writes to these people and he says, your faithfulness and this difficulty that you're going through is like exercise. And it's strengthening your faith. It's making you more like Christ. And it's going to give you the endurance you need to go through the harder times and the, and the heavier challenge that, challenges that are coming your way. Now, you know that endurance, this, this faith, is not as much an outward expression, but it's an inward development. Now, it has outward fruit. We know that. But you can have outward evidence appearance of faith and not have any faith we 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 need something inward he goes on and says but let patience have a perfect work that she may be perfect entire wanting nothing and then he goes on to talk about wisdom in verse number five also an inward development of our character he talks about prayer in verse number six asking in faith nothing wavering Uh, he he talks about our our strength and our, our our steadiness our faithfulness he goes on in these next few verses, <clears throat> verse 8 and 9 and, and, uh, and 10, 11, I think, all the way through, he begins to talk about um, not only prayer and faithfulness, but humility, our, 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 uh, our willingness to submit and humble ourselves before God, also an act that comes inwardly. He, he begins in verse number 16 and down through 18 to talk about God's providence um, and he, he talks about the, the, the temptation that comes um, in verse, or verse 13 and 14 and 15. He talks about temptation and our endurance through temptation. And then in verse 16, he says, Do not err, my brethren, uh, beloved brethren, every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. In verse 18, he says, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his Creatures. He, he says that God is overall, he's, he's seeing us through, he's strengthening us, he's, he's adopted us, he's put us into his family. Verse number 19, he says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Also a act that comes from the inward. We've got to decide. These are decisions that we make. He, he talks in verse number 20. Uh, about our wrath not working the righteousness of God. Man's wrath doesn't work the righteousness of God. Verse number 21, 
you probably used some of these expressions today. He says, wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Most of you did anyways. And receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. This superfluity would have been um, like an excess or, or an, uh, an abundance of something not good for you. Um, obviously, a filthiness would have been vile or, or, or sinful, something that isn't necessary, isn't, isn't useful in your life. And naughtiness, we know what that is, right? Bad behavior, this, this, this lack of, uh, of righteousness in our lives. Uh, in our lives. He, he says we need to replace this with what? The, the engrafted word, the word of God. We need to take those things out of our life. And once again, these are all inward character flaws, right? He, he talks about the, the anger and the wrath. And, and uh, he talks about this, this filthiness and this uh, abundance or excess, often of, of just fleshly and carnal appetites. And then he says, take that word, which is also inward, and put it into your heart, engraft it into your life. And then the next few verses we're familiar with. He talks about being a, not just a hearer of the word, but a doer. And it be, until he gets down here to the end, everything leading up to verse 22, 23 and 24 is all inward developments of our character. Our spiritual character, our spiritual nature is all inward. And finally at the end he talks, begins to talk about this matter of religion... I think it's wise for us to understand this. For this wisdom, and I think we'll see this more clearly in just a moment, but this, this wisdom only comes about through an inward or a secret development of our spiritual character. If we were to look in verse number 26, we'll find the first of three different things that he mentions here. Verse number 26, he says, If any man among you seem to be religious, if you see someone and he appears to be religious... And, dis, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. This, man is, this man's religion is vain. He said, first of all, if you see someone and it appears he's religious, but he has no self-control. He can't control his mouth. He, he can't control the things that he says or how he says them. That, re, that man's religion is vain. It's empty. It's not real. It's not the kind of religion that you want to seek and pursue. And go after. Verse number 27, he says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. And he mentions these final two things. First of all, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. And then he says at the end of the, verse number 27, to keep himself unspotted from the world. We see, first of all, the bridling of the tongue. And then he, he talks about, I'll call it agape love. This unconditional love. And then we see the unspotted life. And we're going to look at these three things tonight. And hopefully help us understand this matter of secret religion. Don't turn there, but Luke chapter 6 and verse 45. Jesus says the heart of... Uh, uh, you know what? Let's turn there. I thought I had it written down. Changed my mind. Luke chapter 6. We will turn there. Luke chapter 6 and verse 45, Jesus speaking and he says, A good man out of the good treasures of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. 
All right, a good man, out of the good treasures of his heart, the inward part of him is good, and he bringeth forth that which is good. Makes sense, right? Someone who is good to the core is going to have attributes of a good person. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. He that is corrupt inwardly is going to be corrupt outwardly. And then he says, and this is the key phrase I want to look at, for of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. As the, these things abound in his heart, it causes his mouth to speak and it represents what he's saying. See, the heart affects what you speak, when you speak, and how you speak. Now that's important because back here in James chapter 1 and verse 26... He says, if a man's unable to bridle his own tongue, his religion is vain. James 4.1 says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your own lust, that war in your members? He says, where do, these, where, where do all these battles come from? Where are these difficulties coming from? Where, where is this, these issues that you're facing coming from? And he says, they're coming out of your own lust. They're coming out of the, the inward part of you... ...that knows nothing more than sin. I think we're all aware of this, but we have a sin nature. And when God saved us... ...if you're in here tonight and you're born again... ...God saved you, he, he saved your spirit, right? He came to live within your spirit. That's the part of you that's never going to die. It's going to spend eternity somewhere. As we study scripture, as we compare the scripture with scripture... ...when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden... ...and God said, in that day ye eat thereof, you'll surely die... Their physical bodies stayed alive, but something within them died. That was their spirit. Their spirit died. Man is born with a dead spirit. There's an empty part of man that is in every man at birth. And that's why so many men seek so many bizarre things to try to fill that void. Some go to, to money. Some, they, they place their job as the priority, hoping to reach some kind of a status to... Fill some kind of a void. Some seek pleasures and some uh, pornography and some uh, go to gambling and some go to um, alcohol and drugs. And, and you name it, man has pursued it. Why? Because they've, they've tried to fill a void that only God can fill. If you're born again, that, that void within you is full in your spirit. The body, though, will someday succumb to death. This body that we live in, God didn't save it either. But one day, he will save it. He's going to give us a new body. He's going to change. As Paul writes, he says, this mortal will put on immortality. This corruptible, this corruptible body will put on incorruption. One day, he's going to give us a glorified body. And in the meantime, we have another part of us. That's our soul. Making up the, the, the mind, the will, the emotions of a man. And a woman. And that part of us, that soul, is where this conflict lies. This is where the, 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 the wars are happening within man. They're not, Paul writes again in uh, Ephesians, he says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? The, the war is not against people, it's not in pe the, the, the human part, the, the fleshly part of us, the, the um, flesh and bone part of us, that's not where the battle is. The battle's within the soul of man. It's in the mind, it's in the heart, it's in the emotions. Now it's important to remember this because as Jesus said back there in Luke chapter 6, out of the heart, out of this, 
this soul of man, what, where, how your soul is reacting is how your mouth is going to speak. Now James turns it around backwards and he says if he's unable to control his mouth, there's an issue within his heart, therefore regardless of his actions, his religion is vain. He may attend church, he may carry a Bible, he may dress right, he may look right, but if he has no self-control, if he's unable to bridle his tongue, there's something missing down below. There's something within his heart that's not reflecting who he ought to be. Therefore, his religion is empty. He, he's, filling, he's filling his life with works, but there's nothing producing the works from within. The attitude or the condition of the soul is directly, is directly related to who controls it. That's the flesh or the spirit. Either your flesh is in control of your soul or you allow the spirit of God to be in control of your soul. And the tongue is a reflection of the condition of the soul. Turn over to James if you're in, I'm sorry, Galatians. If you're in James, go to the left to Galatians. <clears throat> Chapter number 5. Many of you would know these verses. But in verse 16, Paul writing to the church at Galatia says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.16, And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit. Here's this battle. The flesh and the Spirit are, are battling against each other. And the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other... So that you cannot do the things that you would. Paul says there's things that you want to do. There are desires that you want that are godly, that are righteous. But it feels like there's something battling against them. He speaks of that in, in Romans as well. As he says there, there are things that I want to do but I struggle to do them. Here he says you would do them, you want to do them but there's a battle going on. But then he says in verse 18. But if ye be led of the spirit you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, unclean, uh, uncleanness, lasciviousness. That would be like excessive lust or passions. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, uh, variance. That would be unstable or, or fluctuating. Emulations, this would be envy or jealousy. Wrath, strife, seditions, that would be a rebellion. And heresies, things that are, are contrary to truth. Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. That's what they play to wake up the military. Now that would be like partying. And, and uh, in the old days that was a common word. Um, the kids would be out reveling, right? And, and so he says all these are evidence that your flesh is in control of your life. As we read through, and by the way he ends, I love this. He ends with these three words, and such like. At the end of the list, he said, if there's something that I missed and it's similar, or you think, well, what about this? He said, go ahead and throw it in the list. It's part of it. And he says, if this is a part of your life, if this is your um, way of life, is this, if this is who you are as a person, you're being led not of the spirit, but you're being controlled by the flesh. And unfortunately, I would say that many, and maybe even most, even believers today... This is, their, this is their life. Where there's this battle and they feel like they want to do right, but they just can't seem to figure out how to do it. Instead, they're being 
full of the flesh and they, they just succumb to these things. So you say, well, what is the answer? Look at the rest of verse 21. He says, of the which I tell you the like um, before, as I have told you also in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But, verse number 22, the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence that you're being controlled by the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, that last one, temperance, which we could call self-control, this bridling of the tongue. See, all these things are, once again, inward attributes that expose who we are as they come out of us, right? Love begins inwardly, but it's represented outwardly. Joy is an inward act, but it's, it's an outward demonstration. All these things begin in the heart as we let the Spirit of God have His way in us. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time tonight talking about this. But for the believer, I think it's important just to understand a few things. First of all, God as a Father desires us to have good things. We see that all throughout the Bible. He, he even compares himself to an earthly father. And he said, think about your earthly fathers. Most of them want to do good for your, their children. They have a desire to do good. He said, think about me. I have no evil. I have no uh, pride. I have no selfishness. And I have all resources. How much better can I do for you than your father could have done for you? As a father, or even as a mother, if you could relate easier in that way, you have dreams for your kids, you have expectations for your kids, you have desires, and, and if you're a good parent, those desires are for them to exceed expectations. Your, your desires are for them to excel and, and, and have the, the best life they could live. Think about our pure and holy God. I believe, I don't know if the, the dreams are the right words to use here. I don't want to fall into sacrilege. But I think God has dreams for us. He has desires and plans. And, and, and he wants us to fulfill them. And he's given us a means by which we can do it. He said, I'm going to put the spirit of God within you. He's going to be there to teach you and to comfort you and to guide you. And he basically gives us one requirement and that we submit to his will. Now, that sounds very simple, and in church it is simple. But tomorrow morning when the alarm clock begins to buzz, or when your boss is a jerk, or when your teacher lets you know you failed the test, or your husband complains about his food, or your children misbehave, all of a sudden walking in the Spirit isn't quite as easy as it was on a Wednesday night as we're sitting here with our Bibles open, right? But it's, it applies the same. We submit ourselves to his will. We submit ourselves unto the control of the spirit of God. And obviously we could spend much more time laboring this point. But in essence and in simplicity, the, the submission to the spirit of God is how we allow God to control us. The spirit of God to have his way in us. And if you be led of the spirit, ye will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Some people act like they cannot overcome sin. But according to the word of God, you can overcome sin. Well, you can't, but God can in you. And if you submit yourself to him, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The almighty God dwells within you if you're a believer. 
And you can have victory over this tongue or over that anger or over that jealousy or over that unforgiveness. And by the way, when we begin to trust him and follow him, he begins to reveal things in our life. The Bible says that we can provoke the, the spirit of God. We can, we can push him to the side by our sin, by our unwillingness to obey and, and surrender to his will. When the Spirit of God is controlling one's life, the Spirit's attributes will be made manifest through that life, and especially through the tongue. We won't spend as much time on these last two points, but in verse 27, back in James chapter 1, as he talks about this unusual form of religion, this, as we called it tonight, secret religion, this religion of the heart, he says, here's what it is, purely and undefiled, here's what it is, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. Now, that's kind of an unusual command or a, a byproduct of your religion. And you might look at that and say, well, that's an outward act, that's a, that's a, a religious you know, action. And in theory it is, uh, you know, practically it is. But if you think about it, he's telling us to go to those these two groups of people, by the way, they represent those who have genuine need, the, the inability to provide for themselves, and most importantly, they offer nothing in return. See, when you go... Now, in our day, it's much different. The, the fatherless and the widows um, have Social Security, right? And basically, if you live in America and you're a widow or fatherless, you may be... Ch they're, they're, challenges and difficulties, but in James' day, you basically starved. There, there was no one to bail you out. There was no charity programs. Um, you remember there was still um, Roman rule over this region. There was still tyranny. There was still um, much persecution of believers, and now you, you are left without a father or without a husband, and you have no means of income. You have no resources. And James says, those are the people you find and try to help. And he says to visit them. That doesn't mean knock on their door and, you know, say, can I, can, will you invite me in for a couple hours and we'll chat. To visit would, would have meant to pursue them, to, to search them out with the desire to help them, to, to offer assistance. And you know what you're going to get in return to these widows and these fatherless people? Absolutely nothing. They, they have nothing to offer you. They have no money to give. There was no rewards. There was no, you know, you, you didn't get a, a Nobel Peace Prize for doing it. You got no, you got, you got no outward um, applause or praise by men. So what did it require? It required something on the inside. It required this agape love, this unconditional love, where you give without any expectation of something in return. You say, well, that goes a little too far. And for us as humanity, it does go too far. But you remember that he that is greater than him in the world is living within you. And that same spirit happens to be the same God who was in the flesh, and his name was Jesus. And we see the greatest representative for agape love, not just on the cross, though that's where it was utmostly demonstrated. We see it as he sat with the publicans and the sinners. We see it as he 
put the children on his knee and told the disciples, this is, these are the people I want to spend time with for a little while. We see him with these, the, these women who were known for their sin and him giving them forgiveness. We see him touching the lepers and the blind and the maimed and the outcasts of society. We see his generosity to all men, regardless of what they had to offer or what they could give in return. Turn over to John chapter 15 with me, and we'll just read one verse from this very famous chapter as Jesus begins talking about himself and the Father and the relationship one with another and us included. And then he says in verse number four, abide in me. And he's talking about a vine and a branch. When he says abide, he doesn't just mean get near me. He says become a part of me. Get it. Get close to me. Get to know me. Let me get to know you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except um, it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. In verse 5 he says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Verse 6 says, if a man abide in me... And I in, uh, I in him, he is cast forth as a branch. And it, I'm sorry, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men, then, uh, men gather them and cast them in the fire and they are burned. And if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will. And it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. He says, he says this, this relationship is where you get involved in me and I become a part of your life. And I begin to allow my love to become your love. Or your love, I guess, to become my love. And your thoughts to become my thoughts. As, as Paul writes, he says, you know, put on the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. He says, I want you to have Christ's mind. His, his mindset, his compassion, his love, his desires. And we begin to fill ourselves with the love of Christ. And the love of Christ begins to fill us that we might give it to others around us. We uh, got invited to another nursing home this past Sunday. And uh, we went right after, some of us went right after the church service Sunday morning. And the most previous, uh, the previous assisted living that we've been going to has been great. I, I was used to going to a nursing home where many of the people had Alzheimer's or dementia, and many of them, I mean, I didn't get through the text, and they were falling asleep. Some of them would wake up singing. Some of them would wake up complaining. Most, many of them would complain. They, sometimes they wouldn't remember who I was from week to week. Um, I got accused of being Miss Tracy's husband on many occasions, and... Uh, um, some of the people thought I was their pastor from previous decades. And then we started going to an assisted living, and the majority of the people there were in good health as far as their, their mind. They just needed assistance. And it's been good. I've enjoyed it. It's been a blessing. But we, we went to a nursing home Sunday that wasn't quite like the last one, the, the previous nursing home. And it sure wasn't like the assisted living but it was closer to the dementia side 
the people weren't as far off, but you could tell they, they, they had a lot of needs. And you know, that's where I find myself getting the, the greatest blessing for those people. Because they have nothing to offer you. They have nothing to give in return. Now, they, they are happier there. They show appreciation. But I, I've, I had gone to the, the, the one nursing home for 15 years. And I'm still waiting for my big check or my raise or my bonus or something. I haven't gotten it yet. I'm not complaining whatsoever. I, in fact, I, I enjoyed it for all those years. Because there was some, there's something about giving to those without any expectation of return. And we're living in this, this culture where we want immediate gratification. If we, we want something, we want it now, we want it immediate. We, if we pay the money, we want it right here on our doorstep. We want a drone to drop it off in 15 minutes. And if it's 16 minutes, it's unacceptable. Isn't it bizarre? We, you know, we, we try to load something on a computer, and if it doesn't immediately uh, happen, we're just panicking. And we didn't have a computer when I was kids, a kid, but I remember my friends having the dial-up, remember the chirping, and you'd wait sometimes 15, 20, 30 minutes before whatever you were trying to search on the internet came through. And you had to, you know, the phone lines were disconnected until you got done. And sometimes it never even happened. You waited for hours sometimes and nothing ever happened. I mean, can you imagine giving that to kids nowadays? We, we want something instantaneous. But Jesus, you, you remember, someone just pointed this out in a sermon recently. He was never in a hurry. You never saw him rush to the next occasion. But he was always there for the people who needed him most. Finally, he says in verse number, in James, he talks about this. Uh, let's, let me turn back there with you. James chapter 1, the last verse, 27, it says, Pure religion undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. See, those who submit themselves to the Spirit and fill up on the love of Christ find that God begins to reveal things, he begins to teach us, he begins to purify us. But if you are pursuing that and you harbor sin, you, you, you immediately find yourself at a crossroad. Who am I going to follow? Am I going to continue on this journey of secret religion? Or am I going to hold on to this sin? When unforgiveness and pride and selfishness and unbelief, greed, lust, etc. When all these things are undealt with in your life, your religion, that's how your religion becomes empty and outward in vain. While the secret religion, the product of a surrendered life, is, is serving and sanctification. You surrender to God, you serve Him, but then you begin to sanctify yourself. Uh, we just read, if you're going through the, the church's Bible guide through the Bible, we read in Joshua just the other day, God said to the people, He said, sanctify yourself today, for tomorrow I'll show you wonders. He said, I'm going to do some great things, but there's some requirements. You've got to get the sin out of your life. You've got to make sure your life is pure and clean before me. And this, this matter of unspotted, I don't think speaks as much of sinning because we're all going to sin, right? We find ourselves making mistakes. This unspotted is like a stain where we allow that sin to remain. When some of you get home, you're going to 
take the clothes that you wore tonight and you're going to toss them in the dirty clothes. You're going to wash them tomorrow. Not because they're stained, but because you don't want them to become stained. And the spirit-filled life, this life that pursues the love of Christ, that pursues the spirit's direction and submission to him, that same life is going to desire sanctification. There's going to be a longing and a, and a burden to keep ourselves clean and away from this world. And it will create an inner peace and an outward result to the glory of God. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. As I've been studying this, I've been encouraged just evaluating my life and really reflecting on the question of what, what is my religion? Is it, it, maybe is it not totally vain, but are there areas of it that I've allowed to become vain or just ritualistic? Maybe you're here tonight and there's something that was said and you, you realize maybe for the first time in a long time this matter of submission to the Spirit or keeping our lives clean or just being willing to serve those who need it the most. Maybe you've neglected one of those areas of your life. The Father has big dreams for us as a people, as a church, as individuals, as families, but it requires us to make decisions and actions. And I encourage you tonight to maybe make a place there at your seat or we'll have a moment of invitation you can make a place of this altar and let's make it right let's let's confess it and let's desire to pursue this religion that's found in secret father we thank you for the word of god that teaches and instructs us i pray that you would help us as a body of believers to pursue this type of religion that we'd never allow our songs or our actions or our ministries or our personal lives to become void of genuine worship, but we would pursue thee and a Christ-honoring ministry and personal lives, that you might be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen.